we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the third sub podcast. I'm your co-host Alexander Gungi-Ruzik. I'm joined as always by Samuel Rowan for episode 78 and we're gonna dive right into things today because we have a very, very special episode for fans of Canadian men's soccer. So without further ado, I'm gonna let Sam intro things today because... I think we got a we got an interesting episode plan, and uh, with a major tournament on the way, it's one that's kind of flying under the radar. We got some plenty of content to dive into ahead of that. Yeah, well, I think Alex laid it out pretty perfectly. It's a it's an important tournament for the Canadian men's under twenty three team, Olympic qualifying on the line, but it's not something we've seen a ton of media buzz about or a ton of coverage, and I think. Alex, as much as anyone out there in the media space, knows the ins and outs of this roster, knows the matchups, the things to watch for. So I'm going to kind of play the casual Canadian men's national team fan dropping in. We're a couple days away. What do you need to know about the roster? What do you need to know about the coaching? What do you need to know about you know possible breakout players, players to watch? You know, what are the different scenarios this team could encounter in terms of where they finish in the group, how they can qualify, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to we're going to go through all of it. And uh, and hopefully by the end of this podcast, you're really prepared for the upcoming matches and have a good sense of the team, the roster, all of that good stuff. So, um, yeah, Alex, any you've done a ton of really valuable writing lately, whether it's breaking down the roster by surprise rating, which has become a, a good little kind of segment that you do on between the sticks, or just breaking down the other teams. Before we kind of dive into individual players, just general thoughts, expectations, like the roster that's been put together, the teams they're going to have to match up against in the group. How How's your morale level going into this next couple of weeks? This tournament this sort of tournament i'd say it's so tough to project because you never have your top players and it's like that at any level u20 u17 u23 there's always going to be debate about who's not there and especially not until you get to the final tournament so i just think you have to be optimistic compared to other years maybe compared to this year you could think oh if this happened if that happened you can't control that if you focus on what they're what's there at the moment they're still a lot better than they were in past tournaments because you look at this young influx of Canadians playing at the MLS level this now the CPL has given a few names to to add to the fringes of the squad and even in the squad themselves there's two CPL players could have been more I think this is going to play a big role because as I've noted in the past this Olympic qualifying tournament in particular just with the timing it's at usually like it's usually in March like now or before it's even been in October it's kind of always outside of a FIFA window teams aren't obligated to release players especially not top European young players say like an Alfonso Davies or a Jonathan David who remember are eligible for both this qualifier and the tournament itself in the summer should they make it that far but 
because of that, teams with strong domestic leagues do well. That's why the U.S. has typically done decently. I mean, they haven't made the Olympics in 12 years. That's a whole other issue at the men's level, that is. But they've still, before that, when the MLS is kind of in the beginning of its infancy, it was consistently making the Olympics. It always competes for the Olympics. You look at Mexico, they're always competing. They have a strong league. Honduras, those are kind of the big three. They all have strong domestic leagues. So for Canada, the fact that they have three Canadian MLS teams producing more and more young Canadian talent, plus eight professional teams doing the same. You have to feel optimistic for this year, but also I think I'm excited for the next cycles. There's a few players on this team who are even eligible for that next cycle. There's a few players who aren't here who are still already eligible for that next cycle. I think this wave of professional soccer in this country is going to make a huge difference for Canada's chances in this tournament in the future should it continue being a U23 tournament. And and one of the challenges of this tournament is that it is a limited roster. You're dealing with a, a small size in addition to the potential guys you can't get in that window. Let's start right at the back. Let's start in goal. The three guys on the roster there, your thoughts, who you expect to start, kind of what you see going down at that position. Well, yeah, we got we Sebastian Brezza, James Pantemis, and Matthew Noguera. It's, it's a very interesting goalkeeping pool. I think one area Canada was always going to excel in. And it's just, it's wild to think that like seven, five to seven years ago, Canada, uh, besides Milan Borean, they had no one in goal. It was just a consistent rotating circle of third stringers and even up to a few years ago. But now with the emergence of Max Crepeau, the emergence of guys like uh, Dane Sinclair, who is eligible for this tournament, but I think he's going to get a senior nod later this month. We'll find out in a few days if that's the case. It sounds like it will be. And then now with James Pantemis, he was playing in the CPL last year. Sebastian Brezza, he's on Syria's Bologna. He hasn't played yet this year, but he's made the match day squad a few times. He's consistently training with top players week in, week out. And Matthew Nogueira, who's playing in the U23 setup of a, you know, first division Portuguese team. That's all good news they're not second division keepers or third string keepers in the fourth division like the canada's got good depth in goal personally i see the battle between pantemis breza ben temis is kind of the golden boy in, t- in goal he's been called up to eight senior camps but he's never played because he's always kind of gotten there as a third third string he hasn't broken through montreal until last year he played at the island games was excellent for valor made them look a lot better than most people expected them. And then he went back to Montreal, actually played some games, to be honest, proved that he's ready for the MLS level. So I think it's down to Pantemis versus Brezza, just because while Pantemis had a breakout season and actually saw the field, I just think goalkeeper is such a unique position. And the fact that Brezza is consistently facing Serie A players in training makes a huge difference in terms of reading players, reading their backlift, et cetera, et cetera, because John Herdman has said in the past that is an underrated aspect for goalkeepers facing players like that. So I think it's going to be a very interesting battle for uh, for Mauro Biello to, to wield out. And to be honest, I could see Pantemis get the opener, Brezza gets the second one, and then the, the, the better of the two gets the, the big game against Honduras to, to round off their group stage. Is there anything to be said in terms of um, the style of play that Canada might want to employ and how each of those keepers might fit into whatever that system is? I mean, it's a good question. Canada typically, they want to play with the ball at their feet. But despite that, you look at the senior level, Borian isn't so good at his feet. And they continue, because if, if they wanted to play a goal, goalkeeper who's good at his feet, it's Max Crepo's job to lose. We know that. So 
I don't think that's going to factor too much, especially in the short tournament. They don't have much time to like even work on those sorts of tactics and integrate that. So I just think it's going to purely come down to who gives them a better chance to win. And I wouldn't be surprised maybe to see that each each guy plays a game to see what they're made of and then see what happens for from there. All right. So kind of moving to the back line, we have a a heavy contingent of CF Montreal players. We've got our golden boy DC back there, just kind of keeping things under control. But um, thoughts on what you see as starting back four, if, if they're going to play a back four being, and uh, which guys kind of excite you on that back line? I like the back line a lot. And I think that's an area where you talk about tournaments past. Canada typically hasn't really had the most solid of back lines. And I think Derek Cornelius is the headliner as a as a Whitecaps podcast, I feel like we were, it's only fair we, we point him out. I mean, as you said, the Golden Boy DC. Personally, I've said this take many a time over the last few days. So if you've been hearing any of my other podcast appearances I've made, Derek Cornelius is the best nas- defender in the national team pool, center back that is, if you're going purely off of form for Canada in the last two years. If you go back to 2019 where he's made his debut, I think that's a concrete fact he's been better than, than his competition maybe at the club level he's had a bit of struggles at the white caps getting consistent minutes so the fact that he's here in mexico is huge for canada and they have him here for a reason they they easily could have put him in bermuda but i think what they're going to go for there and maybe we'll look at more next week when we do more of a senior preview they're going to try to test out some center backs i think this is a great chance to do so obviously they want to beat bermuda in the in world cup qualifiers in the cayman islands but i think they're going to want to test out some center backs hence why cornelius is here so i think the u23s should appreciate that they should stick the armband on him and ride him out to the end of this play him in every game he can handle it he's a good defender and then you look otherwise thomas mergeur and uh, Callum montgomery are two very solid right-footed center backs who montgomery is more of a bigger you know ball winning center back in the air but he's still decent with his feet whereas Mergeguer is more of a speedy, you know, quick uh, center back who can who, who prefers to he doesn't like the ball in the air too much, but he's really good at getting down on the ground and playing the ball for it. He's an excellent ball playing center back. Personally, in terms of style, I think TMG actually has the advantage over Montgomery in terms of an early battle. But I could easily see them going for for Montgomery just because they'll be playing playing teams like El Salvador and Honduras or more you know, physical, more, more CONCACAF teams. But to be fair against Haiti, a speedy team, a team that likes to get in behind someone like TMG massive. And then at fullback Canada is again, deep at fullback at senior level, deep at the U23 level, Zorhan Basong, excellent for Canada in the January camp in 2020. There's a, he, he was just not getting minutes at the club level. He's moved to Montreal. No move. I think that's going to help him massively. He's Canada's only left back on this roster. I think he's going to, probably started at left back and then Zachary Bogia based off of form was probably Canada's second or third best right back at all levels last year. So I think he's probably going to start and then Marcus Goudinho, uh, obviously some people might want to forget his name after his unfortunate 2019 gold cup, but he's still young. He's picked himself up since then. He plays at the third division of Germany again, underrated circuit just because of how small the German pyramid is with only 18 teams in the first two divisions. The third division is kind of like most teams second division. So the fact that they have a, a young right back playing at that level is kind of the, the backup option for either side is not the worst thing to have. At fullback there, one thing that's etched in my memory is uh, ZBG had an 
awesome match and one of the few matches we get to see live over the last year or so in BC plays. He just lit it up, absolutely bossed the white caps. And so whenever I hear his name, that's just imprinted on my memory. And if he can bring that kind of performance in this tournament, that would be amazing. Now moving into the midfield, um, some some white caps and former white caps names. Is it fair to say, Alex, that this is the weakest unit on the roster? I think so. And it's almost ironic because if you look at the senior team, the midfield is the area of strength, but circumstance, TFC's COVID situation in Champions League, I think this is an area where you miss TFC players the most. Like a guy like a Ralph Preso or a Liam Fraser, had he been allowed to come, those guys could have played a big role. But just looking at some, some of the guys there, Michael Baldissimo is still a headliner. He would have been starting no matter what. I think he's a massive get, as you could probably talk to in a sec. Baldissimo could be one of the key players on this on this team. And then you look elsewhere, David Norman Jr., good player, just hasn't played much over the last year and a half with injuries and just his Miami adventure kind of went south. No, no pun intended there. And then uh, Patrick Metcalf, good player, didn't get many minutes. He needs a lot of minutes at this stage of his development. He's still got a lot of growing to do. And then at the number 10, though, the two names, Aiden Daniels, over nearly 100 appearances at the USL championship level. That's for, for an Olympic tournament, that sort of pro experience can go a long way especially at the number 10 Canada will need some creative players to get the ball forward. And then uh, Lucas Diaz, he's 18. He's eligible. He's a 2004 born, I think, or a 2003 born. He's eligible for the 2026 cycle for the Olympics. He plays for sportings U 23s, not their U 19s, their U 23s where he's been playing. And apparently he's on the cusp of getting a call up to like sporting's first team. And just for those who are unaware of sporting uh, their level, they're currently about six to eight points ahead on top of the Portuguese first division. They're going to make the champions league next year. And Portuguese teams are pretty good. Uh, Porto kind of beat Juventus. last. Yeah, we, week. I was going to say, we've seen what's happened recently with teams from Portugal in the champions league. So Diaz is a pretty good prospect. Let's just national. This could be a huge chance for him to impress. And then if Canada can get him into his senior fold, I think that that sort of depth would be huge in terms of World Cup qualifiers, Getting especially if he breaks out in the next year or two and gets to sportings level at 18, 19, 20. That would be a massive get for Canada. So it's very excited that they called him up and have him here. And even though I'm not sure he'll start right away, personally, I think Canada is going to favor experience as they should, basically, especially when you look at the teams they're going to play. I think Diaz could be a kind of guy you give him 40, 30, 40 minutes to start. And if he grows into the role, he could be like a breakout player that you want Canada to maybe even lean on as the tournament goes. It seems to me like the midfield group, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of guys that if they, if they kind of max out what they're capable of, the midfield could be really strong. My concern is just, especially with guys like Metcalf and Norman, the tiny amount of minutes that they played recently. And then you look at those number 10s and you've got a little bit of an experience or, you know, some different profiles. So I think it's just a, that's going to be maybe the largest coaching challenge is how do you get that midfield group to come together and, and play cohesively. Um, moving on to the forwards, I think you've got some, some really, really exciting players in this group. Um, a couple under the radar guys, Alex, I mean, is it going to be difficult to pick which forwards actually get a starting role and how you divide minutes with all these names? 
It's a good question because personally, I think Canada's going to rock with the four-three-three. They have good wingers, but you almost wonder that they possibly ponder a four-four-two just to maybe minimize the impact of their midfield and maximize the impact of their forwards. Again, just something to wonder. I, it's going to be a four-three-three. I think I'd be really surprised if it's anything but a four-three-three at this stage. But you look at some of the names there. First, just at the striker position, Theo Bear. He he again. I, he needs minutes. We've, we've mentioned that on, uh, in the past, but when he gets the ball in the box, he knows how to score goals. He just continues to get better and better at it. He's getting better at getting into the box. I think he could be a very exciting number nine leading the line. He's done it for the past in the U 20 level for Canada. Then he's got someone competing with him in Charles Andreas Brim, who also was excellent in the 2020 January camp. He's, but he's playing in the first division of Belgium. He hasn't played in the last 10 games, but at the beginning of the year, he was getting minutes and he's obviously training in that environment. I think that battle between them two, I, I almost be, again, tempted to play them together up top or you put Brim in the wing just to kind of put them both out there. But just that, that shows you the depth at the number nine that you're competing between those, those two names that they're both, they both offer two very different profiles, but they're very good strikers. Then on the wing, there's just all sorts of depth. You got, uh, Tejon Buchanan, who was super good in MLS last year for New England, breakout one of the breakout players across the league, Canadian or American, one of the best young players in the league. He can play multiple positions. He's versatile. He's really good at taking guys one-on-one. He's a good crosser of the ball, which is good when you have a guy like Theo Bear or Charles Andreas Brim in the box waiting on the end of those crosses. Buchanan's going to be a massive, massive get for me, I find. And I think he's on the cusp of senior team duty as well, as we've seen based on how Herdman's talked about him. So he's going to be a huge piece. I think for me, the underrated piece is going to be Chris Twardek, who's playing in the Polish first division. He was playing in Ireland before. He's kind of just, he was in the national team conversation in 2018. He's kind of fell into the weeds. But now that he's playing in the Polish first division, a good level, we've seen Steven Vittoria play there in the past. I think this could be a chance for him to get back into the senior fold on this team. He's one of the most experienced players by a mile. He could easily start the tournament up top. He's a good creator. He's, he's, he's known for that again with guys like Baron Brim in the box, a guy like him is, is going to be massive. And he's at 24. He's the oldest player or one of the oldest players on this roster. He's my other captaincy shout. If it's not Cornelius, I think a Tordic would be a more than deserved option. I think it honestly could be between the two. And then lastly, but not least, the two wild cards. And to be fair for Canada, five years ago in a tournament like this, these two players are your starters. And that's where the problem is. But in it, to have Baloo Tabla as one of your bench players, like electric player, used to play for Barcelona, just kind of fallen in the weeds. He needs to get his career. Just having that potential off the bench is so exciting. And then Ryan Raposo, probably the hardest worker in, in all of Canada almost. I mean, we, we like to talk about him a lot, but he, he just runs and runs and runs. He's like a little energizer bunny on the pitch at times, but he's really technically skilled. He, I think he's someone where he might not start the tournament on the bench, but just with how he is, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends the tournament on this as a starter just because of how, what, how contagious, sorry, that's the word, how contagious his excitement, his enthusiasm, his, his work ethic is. So I think that's a that's just such an exciting forwards group to be kind of too deep at all positions like that. At the very least, a guy like Raposo just makes the the competition in the lead up to the tournament. Like he's a guy that will raise that training level and bring the intensity. And I think there's a lot of guys like that on this roster that are 
that are intense. They take it seriously, and they they really want to get results out of this tournament. But speaking well, of I was, I was speaking hop, of results, sorry, gonna, you go ahead, Alex. I, I was gonna hop in on that. Like just yeah. for example, someone like Raposo, what he could do for someone like Balutabla, who maybe sometimes struggles in the effort department. I'm just saying that could be a potential match made in heaven. But yeah, sorry for cutting yeah. you off there. No, I, and it's a good mix of. Um, slightly older guys. I mean, all of these players are young, but older for the U23 side and young guys looking to find their feet. I think there's a nice balance of leadership and kind of development going on. But uh, if we're going to continue to talk about, you know, results-based stuff, we have to address the recent history in this format, in this tournament. And so, Alex, can Canada erase some of the difficult memories over the last couple of years? Okay, yeah, well... Based on their recent history, they haven't made the Olympics in 37 years. And I've said the number 37 so much in these past few weeks. It kind of eerily reminds me of back in October of uh, 2019 when I was doing previews for Canada, USA, and I was referencing their 34-year drought against the U.S., which they happened to break a week or two later. So who knows? Just just saying, but on a, on a more of a, a realistic note, Canada has a you know, they have history to beat 37 years. That's just so surprising to, that they haven't even fluked their way in or just gotten, gotten their way in at some point or the other. And even more frustrating for Canada is despite that in the last three years, they've made the semifinals every time. And for those unfamiliar with the tournament format, I'll quickly just talk about it now since we may as well, it's pretty quick. Eight teams have made it in three from North America, three from the uh, Central America and two from the Caribbean. They've been split into two groups of four. You play each person in your group once for a total of three games. Top two teams in each group advance. First place in group A plays second place in group B. And then first place in group B plays first place in group A. That's a tongue twister. Second place in group A, I mean there. And then the winner of both of those semifinals goes to the Olympics. They go to a final where they play for a, a trophy, which is always nice to play for a little silverware. But realistically, you want to make the final. That means you're in the Olympics. You got to wear the five rings on the side of your sleeves in the summer. That's what you want. So for Canada, they've made that semifinal three competitions in a row. They've made it out of their group, which is impressive, but they've fallen short to Mexico and the U.S., Mexico twice and the U.S. once by a combined score of nine to one over those three games. They, they've been good at getting it to the, to the big game, but they've just fallen short. So in this short tournament like this, I'm very curious to see how this squad can they make it over that hurdle? You just look at that. You you feel confident. I feel confident that they can make the semifinals. And we'll kind of go into predictions later on this, on in this show. Obviously, we have a lot to go over still for this tournament. But I think they can make the semifinals. So for them, when you look at this experience, they haven't had experience like this at this level in a while, at least in a long time. That has to be the goal, being able to go into a semifinal. You have the defenders, the midfielders, the forwards to grind out a result, get the goals you need and have a professional performance because they've lacked that even at other levels. You look at the U20 level, they they had a chance to make the U20 World Cup and they just couldn't get the goals they needed. They couldn't defend in the right moments. And a good a couple of those guys on that U20 team are on this U23 team now and it, it, I think this, that's what they're going for. The experience is going to be a, a big factor, and hopefully they can uh, erase that recent history, as you mentioned. So we've talked we've talked about players, but we haven't necessarily dived too, too much into coaching yet outside of potential formations. What does Mauro Biel need to do to get this team together 
in a limited amount of time and get the most out of them to, you know, achieve those results, make it to the final and really break through. He's, he's been working with uh, John Herdman's staff as an assistant. He's obviously the U23 coach. I think just emulate what Canada does at the first team level, especially offensively, because we talk about Canada offensively. I think they're on a streak of something where they've scored in nearly every game except one since the end of 2018. Like the only game they haven't scored in was that 1-0 against Iceland in the January camp game. They've scored against the, uh, the U.S. They've scored against Mexico. They've scored against every big team they've played against. So that, that, that they can score goals. So if you can do that, that will be nice. Canada typically at the youth level sometimes struggles to score goals. And then for me, the big one that he has to focus on is defense. I think if Canada can't defend, it's going to be a long tournament. And when you just got someone like a, a core of Cornelius and Montgomery, TMG, Zekai, Bogia, Bassong, Godinho, there's no excuses not to have a solid defense. You, you, you're going to have to figure out the tactics for that because in tournament formats, defense wins games and honestly i'd rather canada grinds out a bunch of 2-1 wins 1-0 wins versus 3-0 wins but then they're prone to losing 3-0 the other way because in a tournament like this you just need to make the big dance it's not the goal difference isn't really going to matter especially in the semifinals. i mean yes it could play a factor in the group stages but you just got to kind of beat everyone around you that's the beauty of tournament football as long as you beat everyone around you you don't have to worry about goal difference so i think for them they just they need to focus on professional performances. And I think Biello's a great coach for that. He's shown that at the MLS level that he can't, he's a, he's a decent coach. Can't, he's been a great assistant for Canada. I think he's, there's a lot of focus on him, but I think he's more than capable of handling that and hopefully getting a lot out of this team. So another thing to discuss in terms of trying to eke out results is the location and the fact that we're dealing with a, I mean, as as close to a, as certainly in the group stage is going to be a neutral site for these Canada matchups. How will Mexico work for or against the Canadians in this format? Well, Mexico favors the Central American and Caribbean teams right away off the bat. Just playing in the hot location. I mean, I'm not too sure what the weather like in Guadalajara at the moment. I guess I could a quick Google search. That's the beauty thing of the internet. That, that quickly answers my question, so I'll do that at the moment. It's 28 degrees today. My oh, goodness. Oh, baby. <laughs> for, for Friday, it's an overcast 30-degree high. Okay, so, it, yeah, it is going to be hot. That that, can, that answers my question. So, that, that for Canada, that, 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 I don't know. One thing worth noting is cold teams going into hot weather tend to adapt better than hot weather teams going into cold weather. So it's not like Canada's at a disadvantage, but again, with only a 20 man roster, you have to watch for cramps. You have to watch for heat, you know, heat stroke, fatigue, et cetera, et cetera. It's not very easy. Those Caribbean teams are used to playing in this weather. They, they know what it's like to compete. I think that is, that could play a role, especially in these, these games when they're playing at like mid afternoon, like Canada plays at three uh, Pacific time on, on Thursday, which I guess it's might be evening in Guadalajara since it's more on the East Coast. Kind of, I think it's about five or six local time around then. That's still going to be really hot. That's not going to be an easy game to play. It's going to be humid, probably. That's not going to be easy for Canada to to play. So the location is is massive, and it gives the other teams an advantage. And hopefully, in the next cycle, they can bring it up north because they have played in the U.S. in the past, and 
be nice maybe to say hey in Edmonton in in uh, in in February or March could be it be could be fun to see some of those teams battle it out in that cold weather but I think Mexico it's huge for for those those Central America teams and Mexico because it's obviously their home country so I wonder how that's going to impact Canada and the U.S. in 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 particular that is yeah it's something you have to track for sure and hopefully Canada can adjust to the to the best of their ability so let's Let's turn to the three teams that Canada is going to face in the group stage, that being El Salvador, Haiti, and Honduras. Alex, you just uh, dropped something yesterday that detailed a little bit on all three of those teams, what you're expecting, what the level of competition is going to be like. Let's start with El Salvador. Uh, What stands out to you? They're the toughest one to project for me just because to be honest, they just haven't been all that good at the national senior team level recently. And typically, success at the senior level is indicative of how you're doing at the youth level. And to be fair, things could be improving. I'm not too sure. The El Salvadoran league is is struggling, I, I'd say, in terms of domestically in CONCACAF. They had a teammate the Champions League last year. They got knocked out in the, quarter, uh, the round of 16 narrowly. But they, none of their three entries in a CONCACAF league, for example, made it past the, the round they entered. They all exited at either the, the preliminary stage or the round of 16 stage. When you consider a team like Forge, who didn't exist two years ago, and is filled with players who aren't, say, you know, weren't considered good. At, I mean, to be fair, they're more of a veteran team, but there were still a few U23 names that could have been called up. I think it gives you an idea of where El Salvador's pull is at, considering most of their players are going to be from the El Salvador national national team uh, league, sorry, the domestic league. But at the same time, they're always going to be a plucky team. They're no, they know how to set up and bunker and cause problems. And they've, they've made a few interesting call-ups. I look on the list. They've called up a pair of San Jose earthquake players, Eric Calvillo, who's a midfielder. And then Edgar Alguera, who's a 2004 born goalkeeper, which is just obscene. I think he's 16 or something like that. He's 16 turning 17. So he's like eligible for the next Olympics and is close. I think he's a year away from being eligible for the 2030 Olympics, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) just to give you an idea of how absurd that is. But yeah, they've got a few interesting names like that. For me, the guy I'm curious to watch just on paper, I could be missing a few names. Obviously, I I need to learn, watch them play and maybe get a better idea. But Enrico Duenas looks like a really interesting pick. He's a 2001 born. So again, a younger player on a team loaded with more 898, 99, 2000s. But he has six goals and two assists in the, uh, for Vitesse in their U21 setup. And Vitesse is fifth in the Eredivisie right now. That's a good level. He's even gotten called up to the to Vitesse's first team on a few occasions for an El Salvadoran prospect that is they haven't really had many guys like that in recent past so he could be someone worth noting he could kind of use this tournament as a breakout because if he keeps progressing at this rate he's not going to be around in 2026 when he's what he's eligible for so I think this could be a massive tournament from him but again El Salvador they're a team that always focuses on the collective anyways they're more of a team that we win as a team we lose as a team they're going to be a frustrating team for Canada. I think Canada has the upper edge in terms of talent, but you can't can't 100% underestimate a team like this in hot weather down in Mexico in a tournament like this. It does kind of feel like El Salvador is going to stay very structured and defensive and kind of rely on a moment or two of brilliance to get the job done. That's, that's kind of the vibes I'm getting out of this one. 
that sounds pretty much about right and about as, as much as you would expect from El Salvador in a tournament like this they've struggled they haven't made the Olympics since 1968 they've made the, the the semifinals like once in the last three or two times in the last four times one of the last three they're just a program for for me it, it's it's going to be a tough few years for them just with the rise of Curacao Canada Haiti even what Jamaica is doing CONCACAF is kind of there's going to start to teams who aren't starting to keep up with these, even Suriname is making big waves. Obviously Honduras is doing well to, to, to stay relevant. Costa Rica, El Salvador could quickly fall outside the top 10 if they don't start getting more focusing more on their domestic leagues and getting players out there. So they're, they're an interesting to watch long-term. And I think in this tournament, I don't know, I think per, I, if I had to predict, I'd say Canada wins, but you don't want, you don't ever want to have to bet against El Salvador. They're so unpredictable. Okay, well, let's move to one of the teams you just mentioned that's trending in the right direction. And obviously, Canadian men's soccer fans will have some some scarring when you hear Haiti come up. So what can we expect from from the plucky, athletic, dynamic team that, that Haiti's going to offer? I mean, if you're talking about a team going down in El Salvador, Haiti's a team on the rise domestically. They archive. Uh, their, their team they beat Forge in a win and you're in for CONCACAF Champions League that's huge for Haiti to have a team in the Champions League that's going to be that's massive for them and then you look that that's going to translate to the domestic level I think you saw that in the 2019 Gold Cup they, they have a, a lot of European based players for that but they still had a handful of players that have that were playing or have played in the Haitian League though it's they've just been doing good things at that domestic level there's still a lot of work to be done obviously money has always kind of been a bit of an issue for them especially you talk that's kind of been a long-term problem dating back to the earthquake in 2010 or, or late or early 2010s that is but they've recovered nicely in the footballing area they've started to improve a lot their youth are getting a lot better and what i find really interesting is three of their players jimmy alexis dutherson clairvo and Bisu Bisante, I might be ma- massacring the last name, but all three of those players were on Haiti's Gold Cup team, and they actually all played decent minutes. And Jimmy Alexis, who's a defender, scored the winning goal against Costa Rica to top the group for, for Haiti, which was a big surprise at the time. That's massive in terms of experience. Not a lot of teams have have experience like that, especially with their senior teams, let alone um, let alone their, their, their U23 teams. So those three players are going to be massive. You look at someone like Christopher Addis. I'm fascinated with him because he's a young guy. He's, a, he's playing for Spal's U19 team. Shout out to Simon Colline, who's a teammate of. He's on loan from Inter Milan. And he has, you know, 12 appearances for Spal's U19 team. There seems to be a lot of potential there. So I don't know if he's going to be getting a lot of minutes. But just the, the pedigree, it kind of shows you what, where Haitian football is trending, to have players like that playing at a level. And, I think in terms of their playing style, they're a frustrating team. They know how to defend. They got a lot of speed on the wings, but they got some tricky creative midfielders who know how to get the ball forward. So I think for Canada, it's going to be one of the worst matchups in terms of style. I think player wise, they're almost, they match up pretty evenly. I'd say maybe, I don't know who to give a slight edge to. Maybe I'd say Canada, but I might be, it's tough to say Haiti has got a lot of pedigree and I'd say it's, really close and i think for canada it's going to be such a tough game because of that we've seen that in the past so they're gonna to have to just be really diligent with what haiti offers especially in a counter-attacking 
around just to, to if they want to beat them in this game. And that brings us to last but not least, certainly Honduras, who who might be the toughest challenge of all. Um, what do, what do you think about those guys? Well, they've made the last three Olympics in a row. They're third, I think, in all time Olympic appearances after Mexico and the U.S. They're a tough team, and they just have such a solid national or domestic league with the likes of Olympia, who made the semifinal finals of the champions league beating montreal and seattle two pretty decent mls teams on the way i mean it's decent seattle made the mls cup final and montreal they're 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 a solid they were a solid outfit under cherry Henry last year and then they got some other leagues as well like our leagues teams like marathon and uh, matagua amongst others the hundred leagues are really good league and they continue to churn out talent and again while there may be one of their issues at the at the national team level is that they're not getting as much guys playing in Europe as other teams in CONCACAF. Their domestic league is just so solid. And you look at their roster, it's just loaded with guys that are 97 and 98 birthdays playing in Honduras. They're going to be one of the oldest teams at this tournament, one of the most experienced. A lot of them have played together. They have a few guys like Edwin Rodriguez and uh, Daniel Maldondo who have five caps each at the senior level for Honduras in big games. That is a nation's league and a gold cup and et cetera. And even got a few interesting strikers too, like Luis Palma. He's playing it for, for CDS uh, Vida in Honduras. He scores a lot of goals for them. He's, he's a known goal scorer. Everton or not Everton Douglas Martinez. I always mix him up. He plays for Salt Lake. He scored three goals in 17 games last year as a striker, which isn't bad. And he's got a pedigree at the USL level. He scored, I think he's had a 15-goal season in the USL at the past, if I'm not mistaken. Honduras is – they're going to be the tough one for Canada. They're going to be the – sorry, the team to beat because you're going to have to – you're going to have to beat Honduras if you want to top the group, which if you're Canada, you have to prioritize. Honduras are going to defend well. They're going to be a low-block team. They have guys who can score. It's not going to be an easy game, and I think it's definitely going to be Canada's stiffest challenge probably by a, by a good mile here. All right. Well, that kind of gives you a, a good sense of those three teams they're going to face in the group stage. And before we dive into overall tournament predictions and maybe a couple players to watch on the Canadian team, we're going to dive into a Canadian lineup preview. So what were obviously, you know, there's there's going to be changes. We're probably not going to get everything right, but uh, what we could generally expect for opening day. Um, Alex, we start in goal. Is it uh, is it Pantemi? Is this one obvious? I'd say I guess yeah. For the first game, I think they're just gonna go with the known hand. I think I, I mentioned on Twitter a few a week or so ago. I'd say Breza could honestly be ahead, but I think in a tournament like this, they might just go with what they're familiar with and go with Bre- um, Pantemi's. Then at center back, I think. You know, everyone is penciling Derek Cornelius in there, as you as you said. I think pre-show, you know, you could could write that one in pen instead of pencil. But uh, alongside him at center back, who's going to grab that spot? Um, probably. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say early now. I'm going to say Mayor Jigur. I'm going to go for it. I think CPL representation, his style of play. I think it's going to be Mayor Jigur. Then at fullback, are are you, we going with both CF Montreal fullbacks? Is is that where you'd go with that no, position? Absolutely. I think it's Basong and Bogiaus to lose. Okay, and that brings us to the 
to the midfield three if, if that's the system you're going with. And this is the one I had the most difficulty really putting together. I've got Metcalf and Baldissimo penciled in there, but I don't really have someone at that third spot. What are, what are your thoughts on the midfield three in, in terms of starting lineups? That's, that's pretty much it. I had Metcalf, Baldissimo. I think Norman is a shout. I think for him, if he's fit... I, My question I have... is, is that a bit... Is that three of very similar players oh, in no, the midfield? I don't, I, don't, I don't mean together. Not as all three. I just... Okay, I yeah. Norman ahead of Metcalf. Gotcha. I think if they're both fit, Norman's slightly ahead of Metcalf as a six. And then... Because Metcalf, he can play also play a little further forward or you play them together, et cetera, et cetera. So I think Nor- if Norman was fit, I think it's him. But I think Metcalf has the edge over him. And then for the third... I say to start Daniels, just the experience, it's invaluable. And I think it's kind of a, a case where Diaz has a chance to work in as that as a potential starter later down the road if he really integrates well, just because he's so young. You don't want to throw him in the deep end if he's not ready. And then in terms of wingers, I've got Buchanan penciled in, and I think I know where you'd probably go. We're going to the Polish League for the other winger, correct? We're going to get Twardek, and I'm going to have a Buchanan, Twardek, Bear, but I could see Canada mix things up, and that's it. They, they could mix things up and try something new, but Brim could also start. Tabla, I think he's just going to start on the bench to start the tournament. Ditto with Raposo, so I think it would have to be Bear, Buchanan, Twardick, no? Yeah, and, that, and that, honestly, that looks like a pretty good lineup. I'm a little concerned about the midfield, I think, as we kind of outlined throughout our coverage, but... I think if things come together, they, they stand a chance of being really competitive and having success in these these three opening matches. And that kind of brings us to a couple key players that we wanted to focus on, whether that's you know kind of a most valuable player or just people under the radar. So let's start with our, well, and Alex specifically more, your one player to watch, someone who's going to be really important to this team if they indeed do end up qualifying for a Olympic spot. Well, I'm curious to hear your thoughts after, so I'll pass it over to you in yeah. a sec. But for me, I'm going to go Michael Baldissimo because the defense is good. The attackers are good. So I could pick, you know, a multitude of names on both at both positions. But the midfield being as, you know, threadbare as it is, Baldissimo is going to have to play a big role defensively and in terms of his passing and getting the ball forward. So I think if he does really well, can are going to do really well kind of like the white he did for the white caps when he did well the white caps did well so i think michael baldissimo is kind of going to be that proverbial straw that stirs the drink for for canada this tournament so for me it has to be michael baldissimo but i could see why some different players would be selected but again baldissimo for me yeah i think i'm going in a a similar direction where at a tournament like this, your best players need to be your best players. I know that's a worn-out cliche, but I think it does ring true to a certain extent. And I think that if Canada is going to have success, Tejon Buchanan needs to boss it. And I just, again, if we talk about like something that's etched on my memory from last year, his performances in the MLS Cup playoffs, Like, not only was he, a, as you said, a, a good Canadian prospect but he was a good MLS player full stop like he was an impact contributor in the playoffs and I think if he can bring anything close to that kind of level in these matchups he can have a a really profound impact and and you know a bag a couple goals that really change the complexion of the tournament so that's the guy I'd have to go with 
I'm surprised you didn't pick Derek Cornelius. I left him there for you. Well, he would have been the, if I'm thinking of the two guys that, you know, Cole, best players being your best players, those are the first two that come to mind, is, especially since you took Baldissimo. So I think those are the other two directions I could have gone with. But as you said, you need to score goals at this tournament. So that's why I went in that direction. So I guess moving on next, um, breakout player. I mean, do you want to start with that? Do you, do you feel comfortable uh, starting for that in terms of a breakout player? So I guess kind of to, to define that, because I mean, they're, they're yeah. all, as young players, it's hard to say who who is breaking out, who can break out. But maybe let's just say from a national team perspective, someone who who is looking, who could use this tournament as a, a springboard to for bigger things at the national team level. Sure. Um I think I know where you're going to go, so I'm not going to step on your toes there. I'm going to take Ryan Raposo because I think he he was almost a bit of a surprise call for this squad. Like I don't know if everyone was necessarily expecting that to happen, but he's, he's just a guy that hasn't gotten enough minutes. I mean, if you listen to this podcast for Whitecap stuff, we, we've been banging on the drum to give him alongside Theo Bear more minutes, and I think that he could creep in in a substitute role in this tournament and do some some special things that maybe people aren't expecting. And I know, you know, especially Canadian men's national team fans on the East Coast might see him break out and kind of wonder, hey, where's this guy been hiding? And uh, so that's my pick. It's an interesting one. I mean, for me, it would have to be between Bear or Diaz just because. Because oh. Bear is actually really on the cusp of national team. That's not where I thought you were going to go with it. I'm curious to think where you thought I was going to go because we're talking breakout players. I mean, it's tough because, I mean, you, you look at some guys. To be fair, someone at center back like Thomas Mielgegur could also be an option. In goal, there's just Canada's pool of goalkeepers are so deep, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to pick a goalkeeper. So for me, it probably had to be a midfielder or a full uh, forward. Just, again, fullbacks, they're also kind of in the mix already. So for me, someone like Bear, he, I think the reports that he was going to get called up for their friendlies against Trinidad and Tobago last year before the, you know, before COVID shutdown stopped that. So he's clearly really close to the national team, first team level for, for John Herdman. I think if he scores a couple goals, having a, you know, rounding out Canada's forward group with a, a Laren, Cavallini and Bear could be kind of what Canada's going for. So I think Bear could be the player to watch, but a breakout player. But I think for me, it, it has to be Diaz. He's so young. He's a player who's going to grow into the tournament. He's a creative number 10. He's the kind of player that just, with Scotty Arfield getting up there in age, he kind of seems almost like a natural replacement for him at the national team level if everything progresses right. So I want to see I want to see Diaz break out this tournament so maybe we see him in June with Canada, the senior team, if all goes well. So I, I think, it, for me, it has to be him in terms of a, a breakout player in particular. Yeah, I was just I was wondering whether you're gonna go with Twardik there just because you've been pumping his tires a little bit. I know he's on the older side, but just in yeah. terms of having been the forgotten man in the Canadian setup the last couple of years, so I thought that was a direction as well. But I I like that you went with youth. And I mean, speaking of Twardik, I do have him in another position, however, and that's underrated player. I think this one's a tough one. A player who I think is. One of a player, the team's most important players, but maybe someone who won't get talked about. And I think for me, that will be Twardek. Cornelius is also my other option, but he's like he's too much of a headliner player to put in that role. I think Twardek's going to be a kind of guy people are forgetting about him. You look at projected lineups, a lot of them are putting 
people like Tabla ahead of him or Brim ahead of him. I think Tordek's going to start, could be the captain. He could be kind of an emotional leader for Canada in a sense. So for me, Tordek would have to be my, my, my underrated player because you look at the other players, a lot of them are getting their due their due praise, Buchanan, Bear, Baldissimo, et cetera, et cetera. But no one's talking about Twardek. So I think as, as wild as that is for me to say, I just feel like he's too good to be getting a, a moniker like this. He could be someone who kind of does a lot of dirty work for Canada en route to, uh, to whatever they end up doing this tournament. All right. I like that direction. And I'm going to, I'm going to go full white caps Homer here for a moment. Uh, my underrated player of the tournament is going to be Patrick Metcalf because oh, I think if we're talking about the dirty work, the stuff behind the scenes, the things that don't necessarily show up in stats, Pat can really he can eat up that space in midfield, make those short little passes that you need, do the little defensive work that doesn't necessarily get noticed. And especially with David Norman Jr. not maybe being fully fit, you need someone to just, you know, minute munch in the midfield. And I think it's a shame that he hasn't had more of an opportunity at a at a good level to do that in the MLS setup. There just hasn't been a space for him the last couple of years, but I'm I'm excited about what he could do at this tournament and I don't think, you know, there's a ton of rabid discussion about Patrick Metcalf's impact. So I think it's a, it's a good shout for underrated player. That's that's one heck of a pick. I think he can't pick yeah, m- and much he could end up playing a lot. Like in terms of comparison you know underrated to overall impact i think the you know the translation is relatively high there that's perfect that's exactly it i mean theoretically they could play baldy as a six which technically is his more natural position but he kind of has more of the attributes of an eight and play say a diaz and a daniels ahead of them but they're going to need defensive solidity metcalf is going to kind of offer more of a shield for Baldissimo to be more free roaming i think you're 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 onto something with the, that metcalf pick okay well that kind of brings us to uh to the tail end of this u23 coverage but we have one very important element of the preview that we haven't discussed yet and that's tournament predictions what do we expect to happen what do we think's going to happen what do we hope's going to happen as you said canada has progressed relatively far in this setup but they've They've always found heartbreak at a certain point. So, uh, how far does Canada make it this year? And uh, and yeah, yeah. Where do, where do you see them winding up in in all of this? It's a it's a loaded question because you put yourself on the line. You either look like a genius after these three four games, or you look like you're out to lunch. Well, and the question is like, how much do you want to be right, and how much do you want to back the result you hope to see? Well, that's it. Because I mean, I think. If we're going to talk the other group, it's Mexico's to lose. So I'd predict Mexico first. I'd reluctantly pick the U.S. second, but I think Costa Rica, this U.S. They're, team... They're right know, in there with it. it. It's more competitive than people maybe think. The U.S., this team hasn't filled me with confidence. Dominican Republic, if they finish anywhere higher than fourth, I would be very impressed, and I'd be happy for them. Because they got, they're an interesting footballing nation. They've got... A lot, a lot of interesting stuff going on with them. So I'd say that would probably be my one, two, three, four. In Group B with Canada, I, I don't know. Because I do think Canada could finish ahead of Honduras and win their group. And, if, and that's where everything changes. Because if they win their group and they play the U.S. or Costa Rica in a semifinal, 
I back their chances a lot more than say if they finish second and play Mexico. So I think El Salvador, I just don't think is going to make it out. I think it's going to be between Haiti and Canada for that second spot or that, you know, second spot. They could either, either of them could win the group and who knows, could be Canada and Haiti for all we know. Who knows what happened to Honduras, but, but I'll, I'll say, I'll put, I'll put my, my predictions out in the line and I'll say El Honduras first, Canada second, uh, Haiti third, El Salvador fourth. And then I guess to finish that off semifinals, Canada, Mexico, I think, yeah, Mexico, Mexico wins that one. Honduras, US, Honduras wins that one. We get Mexico, Honduras. But I'll add the caveat that if Canada wins their group, Canada beats US in the semifinals and they go through. And I think Mexico beats Honduras. But just realistically, I think Canada, it's going to, the semifinals is where things going to go. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Ooh, this is, yeah, this is challenging, right? I mean, I'm really struggling with it. it it's difficult. So I'm going to, I'm going to, because I feel like I have to, but also because I want to keep things interesting, I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction, albeit so, kind of the same. So Canada is still finishing second, but Haiti's going to top the group. I'm going I'm going high on momentum, high on potential. Oh. We're going to ride the wave. So Haiti's going to finish first in the group, Canada's going to finish second, Honduras third, El Salvador fourth. Big upset for Honduras obviously, but uh hey, crazy things happen in these kind of tournaments especially with all the COVID stuff we've been dealing with, you know, limited training time together. I think it could see some wacky results. Now, that leaves Canada in the exact same predicament that you just outlined, right? And unfortunately, I think the result at the end of the day is the same. If they can't find a way to win the group, it's going to be really challenging. So different path, I guess, not really for Canada, but different overall outlook for the tournament, but uh, same result for Canada, unfortunately. I want to find a way for them to get there, but it seems like beating both Haiti and Honduras cleanly is going to be a, a monumental task. If they're able to do that, I mean, all, all the more power to them, and I, I'll be, I'll be absolutely thrilled if that's the case. But it, it seems like it's going to be really challenging to do. And it feels wrong to put El Salvador at fourth right away because they're, I feel like this, this could kind of be a group where everyone's going to get points of some sort. Like lots, I could, lots of draws, just kind of keep things nice and even. It, maybe, I, maybe not a lot of draws, but I could kind of see a scenario where like one team's at like six points or five points and other teams at like four and another team's at three. And like on the last game, Canada, could I, I, they, they had in the last game either with the ability to finish first anywhere to third. So like, or even fourth. So it's just so tight. So predictions wise, I think you're, if you're going to go prudent, you have to put Canada second, but I'm optimistic they can finish first, finish on a good note for prediction. I think they can finish first. I'd put it as a 50-50 maybe with Honduras as the two favorites, as wild as that seems based on Canada's past history. But again, Canada's good at making it to the semifinals, so they know how to manage those games. I think Honduras, uh, 50-50, you just give Honduras the edge, unfortunately, because of experience, pedigree. But again, game of five margins, fine lines, as one man famously once said, things could go either way. Well, and 
not only you know not only do you kind of feel like you have to cheer for Canada to to win the group for obvious reasons, but then it it likely sets up that Canada USA oh, matchup that that we're just absolutely living for. So it would kind of be a a dual win there if Canada was able to grab the group. Now that being said, Costa Rica could certainly create some problems and upset, and then maybe you're dealing with a different matchup. But uh, if Canada were to finish first in the group, I don't think they're really complaining about which team they face. They'd just be happy to grab that number one spot. Oh, I'm all in on Canada versus U.S. if possible. That would be that would be amazing because that's it. That's the tough thing about Canada's group draw is that ideally, as, as wild as it sounds, you want to be drawn with Mexico and no one else. Like you, you'd want to, you'd basically, you'd want to swap Honduras and Mexico in an ideal scenario because you want it where you can, you, you're fairly confident you can take on the third and fourth teams in the group. Well, theoretically, like the other two teams in the group and you want Mexico. So if, even if you finish second at worst case scenario, you play a Honduras, you play a, a U.S., you play a Costa Rica, whoever wins that group. But when you have to worry about, okay, if I finish second, I play Mexico. The last two times Canada's made out of the group, that's exactly what happens. They finish second, they play Mexico. It's frustrating because they came really close to winning their group on both occasions. One year they missed out on goal difference. The other year they missed out on a point. It's not like they've been far off or just completely scraping their way through the group stages. So they have to, they, they just have to get out of their group with confidence just because of the Mexico bogeyman. And hey, the thing is with the U23 level, it's been five, no, six years since there's been an Olympic tournament, five and a half years, the CONCACAF order could be changing. I mean, we've seen Canada's getting a lot better, Haiti, et cetera, et cetera. And the U23 level, who who knows how good the current Mexican U23 level is, US U23 level. We could be sleeping on some teams. And that's what's making predictions for this tournament so hard because with the lack of minutes these guys have played together, the lack of knowledge we have of the U23 level, things could be a lot different than we've seen. We could see things really turn on their heads. So it's just such a challenging exercise to try and even dive through all this and just attempt to project a bracket based off of all of this. Yeah, I mean, these are only our best guesses. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the the breakdown over the last hour or so. I hope it's been informative and I hope you're you're looking forward to the matches. Just kind of a, a reminder, I guess, Canada versus El Salvador, Friday, March 19th at 3 p.m. Canada versus Haiti, Monday, March 22nd at 3 p.m. All-time specific for those. All-time specific, yes. Uh, this is a West Coast podcast, so you don't do that Eastern time zone stuff. Canada versus Honduras, Thursday, March 25th at 7 p.m. So that's the night start. And that could be an all-important matchup. So uh, I got that one circled. Not that I don't have the other two circled, but that's a that's a nice marquee window. Well, I'm just saying, for that Thursday-Honduras game, uh, crack out your five-hour energies because before that, Canada plays uh, Bermuda in their opener of World Cup qualifiers. It's going to be a double dip within five hours, two massive, massive games for Canada and two different competitions. So Tw- Twitter fingers are going to be going wild for sure. My laptop is going to get a bit of a workout, so you're going to have to strap in for those ones, that's for sure. So Alex, any any final thoughts about this U23 setup? Anything we missed, anything we didn't cover, anything else you're looking forward to or people should watch out for? Just enjoy the games. It's good to see youngsters getting minutes. There's a lot to watch for win or lose hopefully Canada can do a little more winning than they can losing but there's just so many intriguing young players who could use this chance to to break out so I just say 
enjoy the games, watch them, see what see what uh, this team's capable of, and I think this could uh, set the table for what's looking like a massive uh, massive year for the Canadian national team at all levels, men's and women's. So hopefully this can kind of be the catalyst for the rest of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's let's hope that this is the start of something big. And uh, you can find our podcast as always at Third Sub Pod on Twitter. We've been throwing out a little video, well, I guess kind of audio video clips recently of some highlights of the show. So uh, hope you've been enjoying those. And uh, you can find myself personally at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter and at 86forever.com where we've been. Uh, we dropped a little bit of video content. It's a little unusual for the site, but we're we're dipping our toe into something new. So if you enjoyed the third sub, you've enjoyed our written content in the past, hopefully uh, it's kind of a bridge in between them, and maybe you check that out as well. And uh, Alex, over to you. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Gongaruzzi at BTS Van City, and uh, lots of Canada stuff on the way, both from uh, from me and some of the uh, other writers on the on the BTS team and. There's just so much to cover, so I'm going to be trying my best to follow along. Uh, hopefully it doesn't overwhelm me too much trying to... Because it's going to be a slog of, of men's national team and U23 national team games. I think, boy, there's a guaranteed of five games in like a 10-day span, 15-day span, and probably going to be more. So it's going to be a fun time to follow Canadian soccer. So I'm excited to follow along and hopefully uh, things go well for this team as they're they're certainly on the rise and they have a lot to prove so on that note we'll catch you later everybody for those who want some more white caps talk i'm sure we'll have you more than covered in coming days but also senior men's national team talk we're gonna have some of that and even this tournament we're not gonna this isn't we're not just gonna dump this out and not watch the games we're gonna be watching the games we're gonna be following along we'll have coverage of that so fear not for that and catch you on the other side <laughs>